Thank you, Scott. Well, good morning, everyone. You guys look very festive. Festive. Festivus. Festivus? Festivus for the rest of us. There we go. Festive. There we go. All right. Thank you. This is crowd participation. Welcome to Saddleback Church. My name is Rick Warren, right? That was awesome. I was wondering who would get that. Only people, what, in their 50s up or whatever, you know? That's it. That's all. That's the, our youngest humor right there. So today, Palm Sunday, right? Let's talk about Palm Sunday. Let's talk about what happened. In fact, again, we're on week 26. We've been, we only, we're going to week 31, so we're packing it in. This is when we enter into the last week of Jesus' life. Um, and this is going to be the time where there, this is, he's going to engage in some of his hardest teachings. And this is a week that it's like a... Um, it's like a banana republic taking place. All the, all the things that was happening, how it happened, it's just, it's crazy when you dissect it. We're not going to get into all that, but we're going to talk about him coming in and, and what that meant, this whole Palm Sunday thing. Before I do that, I'm going to share with you expectations, right? Expectations. We all have expectations. You have expectations. When you're coming here this morning, you have expectations. I don't know about you, but the more I smell that pulled pork, I have an expectation that it's going to be absolutely delicious. And I'm going to speak for another three minutes because I can't take it anymore and we're going to go eat, okay? Yes, all right. God will get you for that, so... Um, Expectations. You know, when I do, I've shared this with you before. When I do uh, weddings, um, I take the couple through. I insist. I, it's one of my um, requirements that we at least spend six to seven sessions in premarital counseling, and we talk about that right there. Expectations, because we all come in to relationships with expectations, and ninety percent of the time, if not more, they're uncommunicated expectations. Right. So I come into the marriage relationship the way I was raised, my worldview, I don't even think about it. It's just what I've observed, the way I was raised, I have these uncommunicated expectations. Uh, the spouse, the other one comes into it as well with uh, the same thing, uncommunicated expectations. But we're all going to live on love, right? You know, we don't need money. We're in love. You know, this is it, man. I found, you know, we are soulmates, Right? How long does it take to get into a marriage relationship and realize, yeah, this something's off here, right? Because we all have these uncommunicated expectations, and you may not be fulfilling that, and then the next thing you know, we're going to have a nice big fight take place, right? Uh, because, again, my expectations aren't getting met. That's what we're going to see this week in Jesus, as Jesus rides in. They were expecting a king. The Jews were expecting a king. They had the prophecies and everything. They had it all. They were expecting a king. And as he was riding in, the Jews, they thought, this is it. This is our king. And they had expectations of what that king was going to do. So if we would look to the writings of Matthew, and we're going to look at chapter 20, verses 1 through 13, we read about, we, 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 we read Matthew's um, observation of what took place, his account. And he says this, when they approached Jerusalem, came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt, her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them. 
and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. That would have been Zechariah. Tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt. Then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus went into the temple and he threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine with me what it was like if we could just go back in time. Just imagine. Just imagine what it would, be, what it would have been like, okay? Let's just go back. Let's travel back in time. Let's think about it. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, and it's, there, there's, it's so impactful because the, the Jews had this expectation of what their king was going to do. Now, we've got to remember that Rome was in control at this time. And Rome pretty much allowed them to operate the way they wanted to operate, but they had to kind of pass, if I could say it this way, they kind of had to pass all their plans before Rome and make sure Rome would give them the rubber stamp. For instance, they, would allow, they allowed them to continue to have the temple. They continued to allow them to have their place of worship and all this other stuff. But right next to the temple, now the temple was something very important, right, to the Jews. That was the heart of the nation. That's what represented God to them. And right next to the temple was this big, if we could say citadel or tower or whatever, called the Antonio, right? And on top of that, it represented, and it was right next to the temple, so that when the Jews would look to the temple, the first thing they would see is maybe not the temple, or maybe they might see the temple, but they would see this huge structure next to the temple saying, we're Rome, if you do anything, if you do anything such as rebellious or anything like that, we're going to come down with a heavy boot. And just, just understand that there's probably 600 soldiers around here with, with spears, you know, and, and um, uh, weapons and everything. So that if anything gets out of hand, we'll take care of it. We'll snuff it out. And that was Rome. Rome, did, uh, Rome dealt with everything with a heavy hand, a heavy boot. That's who Rome was. And so the Jews were like, great, here comes our king. What's he going to do? Okay? What's he going to do? Is he going to take care of the Romans? The Jews hadn't given up hope, though. They had, you know, even though Rome was in, in control, they still had all the prophecies, and we just read some of those. And they knew what the prophet Zechariah said, that one day, that, you know, uh, it says, Rejoice greatly, O people of Zion. Shout and triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey. Even on the donkey's colt, I will remove the battle chariots from Israel, and the war horses from, Jer from Jerusalem. So they had these prophecies. Even from Isaiah, they had these prophecies. So they never gave up hope. They knew that a king was coming. They knew something was going to happen. They knew that Yahweh himself had sworn to them that, that, that he was going to protect them at some point and, and never again hand them over to, to enemies. 
And finally it was happening, right? Finally it was happening because the rabbis had told him that this was going to happen on a Passover. Now a Passover is, is one of their main, main, it goes back to the Exodus, but it's a main holiday. And so they all would come into Jerusalem. Thousands and thousands of Jews that were living outside of Jerusalem would come into Jerusalem to sacrifice and worship on Passover is what would happen. And they knew that the Messiah was going to come on a Passover. The rabbis had been teaching that. And when he came, he would judge the ungodly. So surely when he came in, he was going to go straight to that citadel. He was going to go straight to the heart of Rome and cripple Rome. And they were going to be freed as a nation once again. And so expectations were there. And they saw Jesus coming. And we're talking, you know, it's been theorized, you know, this, this parade that was following that we just talked about singing Hosanna and them laying those palm branches down in their clothes and all that that did was signify this is our king. This is our king. And it said that uh, it's, it's been theorized that this parade would have been some 200 miles long. People coming into Jerusalem to worship and Passover. By the way, uh, they would come in and they would um, sacrifice animals. And we know that they sacrificed lambs. It's been said that there's, there was probably 250,000 lambs that would have been sacrificed on Passover. Can you imagine the blood that would have been running down the streets of Jerusalem? Just picture it. But in this parade is this person by the name of Jesus. This has got to be him. This is our king. All these miracles that he's been doing, this is the one. And he comes riding in. And he's sitting just like the prophecy said. He's sitting on a donkey. He's coming in. And they're laying down, they're, they're laying everything down. And the palms and their clothes to signify this is our king. Surely he's going to come in. And he's going to set things straight. He's going to remove those pagan Romans from power and destroy. And our glorious temple is finally going to be freed and cleansed from these ungodly pagans that are, that are here. But something happens. Something else happens. That expectation doesn't really get met, does it? Because when Jesus comes in, he goes straight to the temple. He doesn't go to the citadel. He doesn't go and deal with the Romans. He goes in and he deals with the Jews with his own people. And he goes into the temple and he begins to cleanse it. Now, if we understand this more, some of you have read this, some of you have studied this. What this goes back to, the law of Moses commands that every male of Israel must redeem his soul by giving a half a shekel of temple tax. Okay? So they would come in and as they would worship, they would come to the temple and they would give, again, a half a shekel to the temple for a tax. And what would happen is the Jews couldn't bring... Now remember, the Romans were in control right now. So their currency was more Roman currency. It was Greek and Roman coins. And on Greek and Roman coins, you would have the images of emperors. And it was a way of communicating to the world, we are in control. But here's the deal. You couldn't pay your temple tax with, those, with Roman coins or Greek coins. Because those images would have been considered blasphemous to use as taxes. So they couldn't use those coins. So what would they do? They would have to bring their coins, their Roman Greek coins, they would bring them and they would exchange them. And so what happened is, you can imagine what would happen, uh, they become, they, the people become extorted. 
the exchange rate would be way off, right? And so they would come to pay their temple tax and they would exchange and they would just, they would just get extorted is what would take place. By the way, they used to not be able to do this on, on the uh, temple premise, but Caiaphas, the high priest, uh, he's the one that thought, you know what, you know, this would be a lot easier if we just kind of put it in the temple and just have everything right there. So that was one thing that was going on um, that Jesus addressed. The second thing that was going on was sacrifices, animal sacrifice. So you have all these Jews that are coming in from all over the place, all over the, all over the world. They're coming in to this Passover, and they're not going to be able to bring animals to sacrifice because at the time they got there, they, they would either have been dead or just not good for sacrifice. So they would actually sell animals there so that they, you could buy them and they could use those for, sacri for a sacrifice. Well, you can imagine what would happen. They were selling animals that were blemished and all this other stuff. Jesus comes in and he addresses that. He doesn't address the Romans. He addresses what we would call as worship. And that's what he did. He came in and as the people that prayed for years... The Messiah did come at Passover, and he did come to judge the ungodly. But to their shock, the ungodly became not the Romans, but it became them. Jesus came in and started cleaning house, if we could say it that way. Coming in and, 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 and under, you know, coming in and addressing how their worship had just became so tainted and so off. This wasn't our king. This is what, what we expected. We expected to be free of this political tyranny. But Jesus came in and addressed something else. So he came in. So their expectation of a king was a bit different, right? Their expectation of a king was vastly different. Let me just share with you a couple of ways that this king was different, okay? This was, king wasn't a political king. Jesus didn't demonstrate himself as a political king, but the one thing, a, couple th a handful of things that he demonstrated uh, through the reading of the Gospels, he demonstrated that he was a divine king. If you notice, when we read that passage in Matthew, he told the disciples to go what? To go get the donkey and the colt. And if anybody asked, what were they supposed to tell them? That, that the Lord had sent them. Tell them that the Lord had sent them. Jesus identifying himself that he was Lord of all things. He was a divine king. He was the prophesied king. He was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah, which we read. He was the righteous king. His life, we, we read about the temptation where he was in the wilderness. We, we often refer to him as the second Adam, where the first Adam failed and gave in to sin. And created sin and all, these, all this, Jesus was able to resist the temptation. And he was actually, he became the righteous king. He was the savior king. And this was exemplified from them even crying Hosanna, which means save us now. Save us now. He's the gentle king. He didn't come in on a war horse. He didn't come in with all this fanfare. He didn't come in with this huge entourage that says, the king is here. But instead, he came in humbly, or humble, on a donkey. 
He's the peaceful king. He came to proclaim peace to all the nations. He's the global king. Zechariah states this in his prophecy as well, that he would come and he would rule all things. He was the messianic king that we read, that we, we studied clear back in Genesis chapter 3 when the curse happened. Remember the curse when we talked about that? When God was, uh, was dealing with Adam and Eve and the serpent, Satan, and, and he looks to the snake and he says, there's going to be a time where you're going to strike the heel of this person but he will crush your head that was the very first prophecy of a messianic king a messianic king coming to save and this is who Jesus was he was a compassionate king man when we read through the gospels and we see who he came to he came to the ones that were the outcasts he came to the ones that had no dignity and he brought them dignity and he brought them value he was a very very compassionate king the prophetic king Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy indicating that this king was coming. He is the holy king and he is the authoritative king. You see, the first time we read about this, the first time he came, he came very humbly, right? He came very humbly. He came very humbly to do one thing and that is to rescue sinners, to be crucified, to lay down his life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jesus to even think about entering into this last week of his life and fulfilling these prophecies, knowing what lies ahead, knowing what was going to happen, that he was going to lay down his life. The plan of salvation was going to be fulfilled through his life and his crucifixion of his life. So the first time we see this king coming, he's coming humbly to rescue sinners and to be crucified. The second time we read about this king coming, we read about it in Revelation, and he's coming to be crowned as king. We're all knees, as Paul talks about, all knees. Whether we're doing it now or not, there will be a time when all knees will bow to this Jesus And exclaim that he is king. John, in his vision on the Isle of Patmos, writes about this in Revelation, about this, this second time that Jesus is coming. And right now, you and I, we're in, we're in the middle of this, right? He's already come once, and now we wait, and we're waiting for, the, for the, our king to come once again to set things all straight. And John writes about what that day is going to be like. And I want you to just listen to the words of John in Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to look at verses 11 through 16. And he says this. He says, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse, and its rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges, and he makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. Sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod, and he will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And John continues to write, and he says this, And his name, written on his robe, and on his thigh, King of kings 
and Lord of lords. Again, we saw and we see in the scriptures the first time that he came, and he came humbly. Folks, the second time he's coming, it's going to be a different story. Can you compare and contrast what these two kings look like now, right? One came the first time to lay down his life for you and I. For all the people that had no relationship with God, the, the fellowship of God, the relationship of God was broken between mankind and God himself and he came to restore that humbly came to restore that the first time that this king that we read about him and we see him that's what he's doing the second time we see him it's going it's not going to be the same it's going to be different that's when it's done that's when it's finished that's when things are finished that's when all things will be pulled together time will be culminated and things will be finished. And at that time, we will know, everyone will know that this is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The first time Jesus came and he dealt with the temple. He dealt with the physical temple. He dealt with worship. The second time he's coming, he's doing the same essentially. But, the, but we are the temple, right? That's us. He's coming, and, and he's going to deal with sin once and for all. Everything will be put to finish. So I ask you, what king do you see? What king do you embrace? Do you embrace the king of kings now? Do you embrace him now? Do you embrace the love that he has for you? Because right now, we're living in this moment of grace and love where the king has come humbly to save us, to save you, to save me, to save us all. Do we acknowledge that? Do we embrace that? Do we understand that God is a God of love, that God is pursuing each and every one of us, regardless of how we've lived our lives right now, that is the point. God is coming to us and he's loving us. And he's pursuing us with this incredible love, this unconditional love. This love that says, I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to be part of my temple. I want you to be part of my church. I want you to be part of me. And I'm giving this to you free. I pray that each and every one of us understands that message today. That as we are, are, we, we are celebrating today that the king has come. The King has come and we get to celebrate that. You and I get to celebrate that. We live on this side of the cross where we can receive that free gift of grace and salvation where it's not too late. And my prayer is that none of us experience seeing the King come the second time and then having to acknowledge Him that way. The King has come. The King has come. Do, are you, do you embrace the King as He's coming today and He's here? Have you embraced the King? As our worship team comes back, we're going to close with one last, one last song. I pray that you would just use it as a, as a time of response. We serve an awesome God. We serve an incredible God. A God that absolutely loves each and every one of us so much. And I pray that you've received that free gift of grace and love. I pray that you are, 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 can, can celebrate here today. You can just celebrate 
what God has done, what God has done for you and for us. Today we celebrate the king coming in. And next week we're going to celebrate the work that the king has done. Going to the cross and providing us a way of salvation uh, for him, to him. So if you would, why don't you stand with me and let's just have a moment of prayer. And then we're going to close with one last song and let's just respond to him. Father, I just give you thanks for the incredible love that you give us. And today as we, in our teaching, we are spending time thinking back when you rode into Jerusalem the very first time, proclaiming that you will be and that you are the King of Kings. And in that day, many, many people missed who you were. They missed it. They didn't see it. And they're still looking. And some are still watching. And some are still anticipating the Messiah to come. And they missed it all along. I pray that we here today are not one of those types of people, but instead we see that you truly are the Messiah. And that we embrace and confess that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That you are in fact the Son of God. And salvation is in your hands. And I pray that we are a people that receive that free gift of grace and salvation. I pray that if we have wandered far from you right now, that we might turn and just fall back into your loving arms because you haven't left, you haven't drifted. We may have, but you're there pursuing us. And may we not miss you. But instead, may we just fall back into your loving arms. If we've never received that free gift of grace, I pray, Father, that you would reveal that to us right now. Would you show us so clearly that you are the Son of God and the King of Kings? May we not miss that. Father, for those that are in here today and we continue to worship you and celebrate you, we've confessed May we never become arrogant. May we never become complacent with our faith, but may we always stay humble and contrite in you, acknowledging daily that you are our King. We pray this all in your name. Amen.